The Lord be with you. And also with you. The word became flesh and dwells among us. Glory to God in the highest and peace to God's people on earth. In this season of Christmas tide, we gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily this Lord's Day are offered in the praise of God for our congregation here within Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership, service, and ministry in our midst. And as the Spirit moves, your presence with us come Sunday. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
we pray. Almighty God, you have poured upon us the new light of your incarnate word. Grant that this light, enkindled in our hearts, may shine forth in our lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. A lesson from the first book of Samuel, chapter 2, verses 18 through 20 and 26. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. His mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord repay you with children by this woman for the gift that she made to the Lord. And then they would return to their home. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and with the people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
lesson from Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to the strangers. The word of the Lord. Please join me in reading responsively Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise the Lord in the heights. Praise the Lord, all Jesus. Praise him, all his mercy. Praise the Lord, sun and moon. Praise the Lord, all you shining stars. Praise the Lord, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, who commanded and they were created. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters and all deeps. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth. Let them praise the name of the Lord, whose name alone is exalted, whose glory is above earth and heaven. God has raised up the Lord for his people, praise for all his faithful, for the people of Israel are near to God. Praise the Lord. Stand as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Glory to you, O Lord. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of the travelers, they went on a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
Please be seated. The only scriptural account we have of Jesus' growth and boyhood is located in today's reading. Only here does the gospel allow us a glimpse of Jesus growing up. In this one picture of our Lord's maturation, we find him engaging the great teachers of his time. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Later ages and later writings did not resist the urge to imagine Jesus in his boyhood, clever, magical boy deity, able to make birds from stones and animals from the very dirt at his feet. But the Holy Gospel of St. Luke, for which and and which and in which we stand, refrains from wilder speculation. Only here, just for a moment, does the writer relent and in the reading meant for the Sunday after Christmas, show us the young Jesus, the young man Jesus, Jesus as a young man, which in some measure he would be for the whole of his earthly life. He who was to call disciples, now himself, just this once, is a disciple too. He whose life is the heart of faith, the call to faith, a daily call to faith, for this Christmas moment is himself so called. What good news this is for educators near and far and for grandparents, parents, teachers, and all who labor and are heavy laden in the educational, the teaching projects of our time. As Jesus blessed weddings in Cana and healers in Bethany, so now Jesus, by his presence and practice, blesses those who teach, who prepare the ground for a lifetime, a life-saving call to faith. Jesus is our Lord and Savior, born in a manger. Come Christmas, we affirm he is our transforming friend. We have gathered after already much church this week, to pray and to listen for grace because of Jesus, our transforming friend. We bear witness today that Jesus has transformed our life, made us happier and better people than otherwise we would have been without him. How we hope that people Others, especially young people, will experience his power, his grace, and his love in their own time and in their own way. A friend down south sent me a copy of an article by E.J. Dion from a week ago. The article rightly celebrates those who come to church come Christmas, perhaps only then, or only then and at Easter. Perhaps you have come on Christmas hoping for what? Waiting for what? Ready it may be to hear a call to faith. Dion wrote about the difficulties in organized religion, particularly Christianity today, a decline in religious observance, 
the rise of the nuns, now a quarter of the population in the USA and 40% of those under 30, about unwelcoming attitudes and practices regarding the LGBTQIA portion of the population, about clergy sexual abuse, about the complicated and compromised structures of churches and denominations, but he went on further. Christmas remains wondrous, but it arrives at a difficult moment for Christianity in the United States. Regular worshipers can be disdainful of the Christers, Christmas Easter, but these twice a year visitors deserve our attention, and I would argue, our respect. Their semi-annual presence is also testimony to the enduring hunger for the experience of the sacred. Dion then went on to name and cite three people whose work and teaching I have personally known and with whom I have taught and studied and who have meant a great deal to me and others. Theology matters. Dion's capacity to call up these three wise persons for our inspiration also matters. One is Gabriel Vahanian, Dion. What the theologian Gabriel Vahanian observed decades ago in his influential book, The Death of God, explains the larger context. Christianity has long ceased to be coextensive with our culture, he wrote. And our age is post-Christian, both theologically and culturally. I remember Bahanian granting me an interview in his Syracuse University Hall of Languages third floor office one winter day, and his comment in a beautiful French accent, the will of man, it is more inscrutable than the will of God. One is Peter Berger, whom some of you also knew here at Boston University, Dion. The great sociologist of religion, Peter Berger, offers a clue in A Rumor of Angels, his 1969 book about the persistence of faith in the face of rapid secularization, the stubborn refusal of human beings to give up on the transcendent. I picture Berger at lunch here on Commonwealth Avenue, chastising the Lutheran church he very much loved and warming to tell a truly funny joke. One is N.T. Wright, for whom I was teaching assistant at McGill over three years, Dion. The biblical scholar and former Anglican bishop, N.T. Wright, sees the longing for justice, the quest for spirituality, the hunger for relationships, and the delight in beauty as human aspirations beyond the material that can be heard as echoes of a voice pointing toward God, from Wright's book, Simply Christian. I picture N.T. Wright both curious and frowning as I guest lectured on the Gnostics and inviting me to, his, to dinner in his Montreal home with four beautiful growing children and his own desk stuffed in a tiny closet under the hallway stairs. A few summers ago, we lunched across the river 
and he thanked me over the decades for a sermon many years ago and its title, What a Friend We Have in Paul. Jesus had his teachers and we have our own, the Hanian, Berger, and Wright, in very different theological voices, would approve Dion's reliance on them. Seeing their books cited was a joyous Christmas gift. You might like to read them. My friend, Mr. Art Jester, in sending the article, brought these teachers back to me and so gave me back a part of myself. And that is what friends do. They give us back ourselves. And that is what friends do. They give us back ourselves. And then, finally, Dion himself, who, pre who preceded Jan and me in our room the week before we were at Chautauqua Institution just a summer ago. People show up twice a year, he wrote, because some part of them is in rebellion against a society defined solely by self-interest and calculation, by the visible, the measurable, and the tangible. They have an intimation that the world is made up, in the words of the Nicene Creed, of both the seen and the unseen. Christmas sketches a picture of a cosmos capable of love. Are we lovers anymore? Christmas comes along with a question. Are we lovers anymore? Or are, are, or are we resigned to a post-agopic, post-agape, post-love world and life? From my own point of view, the Christmas longing is not only for transcendence, but also, and more so, for love. Are we lovers anymore? And in that question, there is a call. Might we hear in this a call to faith this morning? Following the candles lit and lifted, following the sense of the numinous, the moments, fleeting moments of transcendence at nativity, might there, might there follow for one or another a straightforward call to faith, spoken, heard, and heeded? Here we may rely on our epistle, speaking of teaching moments. St. Paul leaves speculative, less practical theology and jarringly tells us here how to live in Romans 12. He outlines a call to faith. He describes what a life of faith might look like for you and for me. You might not expect such from the author of the rest of the epistle to the Romans, the one who traced our condition, our sin, from creation through conscience in Romans 1 and 2, impractical theology there, though most treasured and precious. You would not expect such from the apostle who poured out the great watershed, our salvation, from Christ to cross in Romans 3 to 5, impractical there, theology there, though pearls great in price, field hidden, 
nor would you expect the 13 lightning bolts of 12.9 and following from the elliptical, emotional, tent-making, bachelor spitfire, what a friend we have in Paul, who unveiled spirit, Holy Spirit, in freedom and grace in Romans 6 to 8, who wept and conjured and pleaded about his own extended religious family in Romans 9 to 11. Impractical theology there and there, though the high watermark of all his writing, a spirit interceding for weakness, speaking of love and need. Imagine your shock. Not sin, not salvation, not spirit, not synagogue, come Romans 12, 9. Rather, some utterly practical, applicable theology. Say a Christmastide call to faith, especially for those who may have come by only at Christmas, just this Christmas. Romans 12, 9, the Pauline 13, may just be your best threshold, liminal line, front door response to the question, can you help me get going with this being a Christian business? What does it mean to hear a call to faith? What does it mean? It means to let love be genuine. All these, note well, are plural imperatives, communal commands. It's not all up to you. The command in Genesis, be fruitful, multiply, fill the whole earth, is not an individual demand either. Your family doesn't need to do so alone, though Samuel and Susanna Wesley certainly did their best. It is a communal command. You all, all you all. In fact, given our limitations, we're being kind here, there is no way for us individually to accomplish such a command. Not all of our love is genuine. Not all is from the heart, true, durable, or real. But it is our call to be lovers in a post-agape world. What does it mean to hear a call to faith? It means to hate what is evil. Notice the firmness in Paul's flexibility, the vagueness in his certainty. In sin, salvation, spirit, and synagogue, he has now confidence that, for our own time, we shall know the place of hatred and the outline of evil. Implied here, new occasions teach new duties. Not all of life is good and clean. Some is and some is not. And we are free, nay, called to hate evil. You overhear Amos, I hate, I despise your feasts. What does it mean to hear a call to faith? It means to hold fast to what is good, to hold fast to what is good. Notice again the firmness in Paul's flexibility, the vagueness in his certainty. Of one odd scriptural admonition, Christer Stendhal once said, well, I believe it is the word of God, but it's not the word of God for me, not here, not now, no, sir. Time makes ancient good uncouth. What does it mean to hear a call to faith? It means to love one another with mutual affection, 
brotherly affection, a bond that is fraternal, sororial, militant if not military, visceral and reciprocal. Real affection is mutual, love is reciprocal, love is reciprocal. Affection wherein one party has all the say and the other does all the work is not affectionate. It is affectionless, affected, not effective. What does it mean to hear a call to faith? It means to outdo one another in showing honor. Creative generosity, happy hospitality, courage in counting others better, here is our way. Forbear one another in love. Light, salt, sheep, people need to see you giving honor. They need to taste the spice of your commendation and expect willingness to honor, to be shorn, clean-cut, readily recognizable. What does it mean to hear a call to faith? It means not to lag in zeal, to be ardent in spirit, to serve the Lord. These three dicta largely place before you the directive to get yourself out of bed, into some clean clothes, over to Marsh Chapel, and be seated in a pew come Sunday. A walk in the country or on the beach is good. Turning on the radio is good. But people have so many reasons not to go to church. And some of them are themselves quite good. Others range from the pitiful to the hilarious. But hear a call to faith. Come to worship. Your sister here needs the encouraging support of your zealous presence. Your brother here needs the example of your ardent spirit. His service is perfect freedom, and this service is only 59 minutes long. People become so lackadaisical about worship, and I'm not only speaking of us academics. In a lifetime, you have 4,000 Sundays, 1,000 haircuts, 60 income tax returns, and in a year, 525,600 minutes. Zeal, spirit, service, Sunday, prize your time. Now you have it. To hear a call to faith and to heed is to, to ride the waves in community of shared hope and pain and prayer. Hope carries us beyond pain through prayer. Pain drives us hard back onto hope in prayer. Prayer brings us up, out, and forward, and through, whether in hope or in pain. When we have hope, we celebrate as a community. When we have pain, we endure as a community. Be constant, ready, steady, regular, punctual, reliable, disciplined in prayer. This is an old saw, but it is a true one. A man on Fifth Avenue asked, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? And the right answer is always the same, practice, practice, practice. A real call to faith. The apostle reserves the two toughest communal challenges for last, one about money and one about time. Time and money, money and time. On money, you will take one tithing Christian for every 10 of the born again variety.
You will take one tithing Christian who remembers the ministry of the church in her will for every stadium full of politically praying Christians. You want to see less hat and more cattle. A Christian vision along our southern border, say, will include a recollection of the Monroe Doctrine teaching, teaching us to care especially for our hemispheric neighbors, a recollection of the Marshall Plan and what can be done to the benefit of all to reconstitute fragmented nations and communities, and a recollection of the love poem of Emma Lazarus at our very front door. Contribute to the needs, not the irresponsibility, but the needs of the holy community near and far. Our Boston University Business School and our Boston University School of Hospitality serve the same ends, the nature of community. Recent deans of both, we are proud to say, have been active here at Marsh Chapel with exemplary faithfulness. And on time, Hospitality is to time what generosity is to money. Hospitality is how you spend your time. Such an odd but choice phrase in American English. Hospitality, the making of the bed of friendship, the cooking of the meal of companionship, the pouring of the bath of empathy, the cleaning of the linens of suffering, the embrace of the journey through life. Welcome home, how was your trip? Let me see those photographs. Hospitality is to time what generosity is to money. So practice, practice, practice. You will get better at both with time. Beloved, hear the good news. Sursum corda, lift up your hearts. Here is your Christmas call to faith. If this were a Methodist revival, we would line out this like a hymn for us to sing. If this were a black church, we would call you to response in call and response. If this were Fenway Park, we would start the wave or sing, sing Sweet Caroline. But since this is Marsh Chapel, we will just ask you, encouraging your memory, to remember together entering 2019 let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor, never lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in your hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, practice hospitality.
Dear friends, as we turn our hearts and minds to prayer, I invite you to remain standing, be seated, kneel, or come to the communion rail according to your tradition as we join together in our call to prayer. Lead me, Lord. Our prayers today come from the Iona community's book, Cloth for the Cradle. When the world was dark and the city was quiet, you came. You crept in beside us. And no one knew, only the few who dared to believe that God might do something different. Will you do the same this Christmas, Lord? Will you come into the darkness of today's world, not the friendly darkness, as when sleep rescues us from tiredness, but the fearful darkness in which people have stopped believing that war will end or that food will come or that a government will change or that the church cares? Will you come into that darkness and do something different to save your people from death and despair? Will you come into the quietness of this city, not the friendly quietness, as when lovers hold hands, but the fearful silence when the phone has not rung The letter has not come. The friendly voice no longer speaks. The doctor's face says it all. Will you come into that darkness and do something different, not to distract, but to embrace your people? And will you come into the dark corners and the quiet places of our lives? We ask this not because we are guilt-ridden or want to be, but because the fullness of our lives long our lives long for depends on us being as open and vulnerable to you as you were to us when you came trusting human hands to hold their maker. Will you come into our lives if we open them to you and do something different? When the world was dark and the city was quiet, you came. 
you crept in beside us. Do the same this Christmas, Lord. Do the same this Christmas. Amen. And as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you once again here in the nave of Marsh Chapel and invite you to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew, passing that book along to your neighbors so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. Things are a little slow here at Marsh Chapel this week. The chapel offices remain closed through the university's intercession, which concludes on Tuesday, January 1st. We will be open again beginning on Wednesday. That said, our weekday fellowship activities remain on hiatus pending the beginning of the spring term in the third week of January. That said, we do look forward to seeing you back here next Sunday for Epiphany Sunday and Communion. For all of our upcoming services and activities, keep an eye to the chapel website at bu.edu chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we invite you to meditate on Jakob Handel's motet, Resonant in Laudibus. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Holy God, your beauty shines forth from the manger and your love flows from the cross. As you gather us around these signs of your love, come among us, warm us to extend your care among the hungry and all in need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. lays his glory by, born that we no more may die, born to raise us from the earth, born to give us second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn 